I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Welcome back, Nexus Church family, to another week in our series we titled, I Am. In this series, we are looking at the eight times that Jesus proclaimed in the book of John, I Am. Now this week, in today's passage, Jesus proclaimed, I am the resurrection. Kind of an interesting statement to make. Resurrection meaning that you come back to life, right? So what does Jesus mean by this, and how do we apply it to our life today? Well, the reality is, today, every single one of us is going to die. Death has a 100% rate of success, if you want to call it success. But it's also true that many of us, almost all of us, have a time in our life where we try to avoid it. Now, that could be because we're simply busy, and we don't have time to deal with death when we are too busy living, right? We have kids to pick up. We have jobs to do. We have activities to be a part of. We have church to go to. We have family events, and on and on and on, and just let alone sleep and eating and trying to somehow eke out time to just exist. <laughs> but outside of that, when we do get the moment to think about it, we push it away. Why? Because it's something that we don't know what to do with. Whether it's because we're afraid of it or because of a bad experience with a family member that maybe passed away in a horrific way, there's so many tensions and reasons why we like to forget about it. And today we want to hit it head on because at some point you're going to have to put up with this reality that death is staring at you face to face, whether it's yourself or someone you love. And we don't want to pretend like it doesn't exist and have to face it and try to find answers when you are going through the middle of it. And so today I want to begin with the reality that Jesus had to go through death. Not just for himself. We, we know the resurrection story and, and the death that led up to it and how painful it was for him. But he experienced death in other people's lives. And he had to wrestle with the emotions 
that he experienced. And so when he proclaimed that I am the resurrection and the life that we just listened to a few moments ago, he was speaking to Martha. Martha's brother and Mary's brother, Lazarus, had passed away. And so in just a a few verses, Jesus would walk with Martha to see Mary and to see Lazarus. And I want to read to you a passage from John chapter 11, verses 32 through 38, where Jesus himself wrestled with the pain and the emotions of death, just like you. Maybe with a loved one you've had, or maybe you are trying to wrestle with yourself. See, death is no respecter of persons, and the emotions that come with it is no respecter of persons. And though maybe maybe you have had to stuff it down for whatever reason, or you yourself just don't like emotions, and so you're trying to get away from from it and run as fast as you can eventually it's going to creep up and it's going to hit you head on and you're going to have to deal with what's going on jesus did the same thing though he was god and and he understood everything that was going to happen to lazarus he still had to deal with emotions because he was yet fully man And so in verse 32, we read, as soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, right? So Martha came to him and ran to wherever Jesus was from her home and proclaimed, my brother Lazarus is almost dead. And so Jesus comes back with her and then Mary stayed home. And when she came, because she heard that Jesus was coming, and so she ran out to meet him. And when she saw him. She fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Like, (laughs) I just, I can't imagine that statement, what that all entailed. The depth, the pain, the hurt, and, and even a sense of anger. Right? There's so much in that, that simple phrase that really makes it okay for us to experience sadness and anger and all of the emotions that come with death. And so if you've experienced that, don't beat yourself up. That's part of mourning and loss and trauma. Death is trauma to those who are left. So when Jesus saw her crying... And the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. He was deeply moved. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And the infamous passage that we always refer to and we say, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who had opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, once again, deeply moved, came to the tomb. Jesus experienced pain. So much to the point that he wept over the loss 
of a loved one. And the impact it had on others. Not just himself, but on others. When Jesus came to the end of his life, in the imminent death that he knew was coming, because he, of course, again, knew that that's why he came to earth, was to step in place for us and experience death for us. To be our, our atoning sacrifice, if you want to call it that, if you know that language, but really to step into our place and take on our sins in our place and make us right with God. He didn't necessarily want to experience that. And I want you to listen in, in Luke chapter 22, verses 41 through 44, his time with the Father. Right? Again, it, it, once again, it's, it's, it's showing us that we can wrestle and feel emotions when we come to this, this world of death and loss, that each person will experience multiple times in their life, not just for themselves, but for others. Jesus cried out to the Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Like, wow. Right? God. God, I don't want to go through what I'm about to go through. I don't want to go through these cancer treatments. Uh, somehow, Provide a miracle. God, I don't, I don't want to see my loved ones suffer. I don't want to lose my child. I, I don't want to spend the rest of my life with this disease. But yet in the midst of this all, when he looks at Martha before she ever takes him to the place, where her brother laid. He proclaimed, I am the resurrection. I am the life. In the midst of death, in the midst of pain and suffering, he projects hope. I am the resurrection. But what does this mean? What does this mean that I am the resurrection? To so many this, this life is all there is. But yet Jesus says there is more. There is more. There's not just this, this. You live on earth. And then he puts you in a grave. And you just kind of. Go to sleep. And that's the end. No Jesus says there is more. To life. Than just the here. And when we get to. Revelation, it opens up to the beauty of what will be. Charles Spurgeon stated this when he powerfully proclaimed, death comes to the ungodly man as a penal infliction, but to the righteous as a summons to his father's palace. To the sinner, it is an execution to the saint. And undressing. Here's what I liked about this quote. Death to the wicked is the king of terrors. Death to the saint is the end of terrors. The commencement of glory. Jesus' proclamation to Martha gives us hope that our last breath on this side 
of eternity is just the beginning of true life. Right? There is something beyond the here and now. Something that we can look forward to. But it has to come to the believer, which we will get to in just a moment. But we want to continue on this path of what Jesus was talking about when, when he was trying to get to Martha, what this life, this eternal life looked like. And I want to give you a great picture of this in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 3 through 7. When, when, when we see a picture of what John told this end times church that he wrote to. He didn't know exactly who he was writing to, but he knew that the people that he was writing to would understand this text. And though we haven't come fully to the end of this end time church, we are slowly, or maybe quickly in some people's eyes, coming to the point where the church, as we know it, the world as we know it will come to an end and we will have what he is seeing in this vision that he writes about. He said, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eye. And there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying or pain. Think about that. All these things will be gone forever. So powerful. God will actually be with us. Right back to when Jesus roamed the earth, he will be with us. But unlike when Jesus came to earth, this earth will be new. This earth will be perfect. Like the Garden of Eden, God will bring this new heavens and this new earth about how and in the method of what that looks like. We're not fully understanding of, of what Scripture is painting here. But it will somehow come about where our current earth and our current heavens will somehow be morphed and changed and, and transfigured, however you want to look at it, and it will now be where we live. And it will be all new. Just like heaven is. Just like the Garden of Eden was. There will be no more crying. No more death. No more sorrow. No more pain. All things will be made new and God will be with us. Continues on. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. Let me pause there. To the one who is thirsty, this is not talking about needing like refreshments or water in the desert, something like that. No, this is talking about one who is thirsty for God, who is thirsty for this, this, this beautiful heaven and earth that he was painting as a picture of what's to come. 
to those who are thirsty. He will give freely from that eternal water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. For those of us who have said yes to making Jesus their Savior, the one who, who would be that, that sacrifice and would step in our place and free us. When we said yes to him as our Savior and, and made him our Lord, our, our, our captain, our pilot, the one who would lead our life and that we would bow down to and say, I follow you, what you say, what you do, I do. We will inherit. We will be the one who he says is victorious. We get this beautiful picture. But as beautiful as that picture is, it still doesn't take away from the reality that, that there is loss when we lose a loved one. That, that, that picture that he paints gives me hope, gives me a desire like, take me, Lord, I want to go. Like, who doesn't want to be removed from the pain and the sorrow and the sickness, the, 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 the division, the anger, the, the work that we have to wake up and do, the schoolwork that just continues to pile on? Like, come on, Lord Jesus, come. Every day is a vacation, right? Every day is beauty in, in Hawaii, right? Like, come on, this is going to be amazing. As beautiful as that picture is, we still lose loved ones while we're here on earth. And God wants to remind us that the loss of a loved one, though it hurts us, it's good for them as well. And that we don't have to be depressed or feeling that loss of not seeing them again. Because we know that we will be reunited with them. And Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 18 through 18. He said, Beloved brothers and sisters, we want you to be quite certain about the truth concerning those who have passed away so that you won't be overwhelmed with grief. We go to these, these celebration services, as I like to call them, but funerals, most people call them. And there's just so much grief, so much loss, and remembering all these great stories, but mourning the loss. And he's saying, I don't want you to be overwhelmed with grief. I want you to look for the positives of what's to come. Like many others who have no hope, he says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, right? if we've made him our Savior and our Lord, we also believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have died while believing in him. This is the word of the Lord. We who are alive with him and remain until the Lord appears, which hasn't happened yet, but if it does happen in our lifetime, for the Lord himself will appear with the declaration of victory, the shout of the archangel and the trumpet blast of God. He will descend from the heavenly realm and command those who are dead in Christ to rise first. Then those who are alive, if that happens in our lifetime, will join them transported together in clouds to have an encounter with the Lord in the air, and we will be forever joined with the Lord. 
I think that's important. Because as much as Revelation 21 gives me so much joy, I want to know that I will be there with those whom I love. They are my family. They are where I find my connection. And though connection with God is awesome, it is so wonderful to know that my brothers and sisters, my family members who believe in Jesus will be with me and I will get to celebrate with them. That I won't be alone. That I will be with all of those who call upon the Lord. Charles Spurgeon summarized this, this thought of, of I am the resurrection in the life this way. He said those who believe in Jesus Christ appear to die. But yet they live. They are not in the grave. They are forever with the Lord. They are not unconscious. They are with the Lord in paradise. Here is what I found so powerful. Death cannot kill a believer. It can only usher him into a freer form of life. Freer form of life. Where you can know God. And with that... I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus looked at Martha and asked, Do you believe? I want to ask you that today. Do you believe? Or another way to put it, where's your hope? Today, we put our hope in so many places where it does not belong. We put hope in a leader, whether it's spiritual or world or whatever. We put it in a political party. We put it in a career, in college, in spouse or a significant other, in, in a platform of whatever variety. We put our hope in things that once we get there, right, that destination, once we get there or get that or find that person, once we get there, life will be so much better. But if you placed your hope in Jesus, we cannot put our hope in anything on earth because there is nothing on earth that can guarantee us anything more than temporary happiness at best. Nothing on earth will give us a hope that lasts beyond the here and the now. Only Jesus gives you hope beyond the here and now. So do you believe? Have you put your hope in Him today? Where's your hope? Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see only a reflection in a mirror. The here and now is just a poor reflection in a mirror. But then we're going to see Jesus 
face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. God fully knows you. Going back to last week. He fully knows you. He is the good shepherd who knows his sheep. He knows you. And he desires for you to fully know him, to trust him, to put your hope in him. This earth, as Spurgeon so clearly stated, it's it's temporary. And the decision you make on earth about Jesus Christ decides whether your eternity will be terror continued or the end of terror where your joy will be complete. Make the decision today to give Jesus your life, to submit to him, to say you are the only way that I can have relationship with the Father. You are the only way that my my evil, the things that I've done wrong, and we've all messed up, we've all told lies, all that stuff. Jesus is the only way that we can be forgiven and be right with God and have access to Him and have access to paradise, heaven, eternal life with Him. So Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that every person listening will submit to you will say yes to Jesus, submit their life, and start the journey of following Him, making Him the leader of their life. And God, for those who are already a follower of Jesus, that they will continue every day to submit to You, to put their hope in You, because God, it's a real challenge in this world to not try to put our hope in things that are not anything we should be putting our hope in. Misplaced trust is happening. And Father, I pray that we would turn our eyes back to you. The only true thing we can put our hope in, our trust in, every day, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today, Nexus Church family, and we'll see you again next week when we start to wrap up the series. I am. See you again soon.